Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thrusting space science into the audio dimension. This is Naked Astronomy. The Square Kilometre Array is soon to be the world's largest radio telescope. In a special edition of Naked Astronomy this month, with me, Dominic Ford, we'll be taking a tour of the Murchison Radio Astronomy Observatory, or MRO, which is one of the two sites where this huge telescope will be built, located in a remote part of the Australian outback, about 800 kilometres north of Perth. We'll be following Kirsten Gottschalk as she travels across Western Australia from the International Centre for Radio Astronomy Research, where she's based in Perth, on an expedition with some of the engineers who work on the site. Supported by the STFC and Cambridge University's 800th anniversary team, this is Naked Astronomy. For more information, look us up online at nakedscientist.com forward slash astronomy. We're just packing up the vehicle now, ready to head out on our trip. We've got about eight or eight and a half hours in the car today up to the Murchison Radio Astronomy Observatory. Our destination for this evening is Bullardi Station, where we'll be staying, and then we'll get to head out to the MRO tomorrow morning. But at the moment, our first stop is going to be Bindoon Bakery for some breakfast. We've got about 600 kilometres of tarmac ahead of us and then another 200 of red dirt road. The Square Kilometre Way, or SKA for short, is an international project which will be split between southern Africa and Australia. Centred around the Karoo Desert in South Africa, an array of radio dishes will be built, which will stretch over distances of thousands of kilometres into neighbouring countries. In Australia, meanwhile, the Murchison site will be at the centre of a second array of radio antennas, also spread over distances of thousands of kilometres, which will utilise a new kind of radio receiver called aperture arrays. It's only in these remote and mostly uninhabited locations that radio astronomers can get away from the noise of mobile phones, Wi-Fi networks and television masts to be able to detect the faint radio signals that they're looking for. Together, the SKA's two arrays will form an instrument which will be around 10,000 times more sensitive than the current generation of radio telescopes and will allow images to be taken of the faintest and most distant galaxies ever observed. By looking at distant objects, whose light has taken billions of years to cross the universe to reach us, it will be able to look back in time. The astronomers building the telescope hope that it will be able to look back so far in time that it will be able to see the first galaxies forming out of the smooth, structureless sea of gas that was produced by the Big Bang. 
It's now about 2pm and we're still on the road. We just left Morawa where we had lunch by the side of the road. We're now driving along a very straight road with some beautiful, beautiful blue skies ahead of us with some little wispy clouds around. It's about 30 degrees. As we head more north, we're getting progressively warmer. The fields around us are nice and brown and dry and we're about to be passed by a road train with some ore. And the road is actually only single lane tarmac, so you have to go out onto the dirt to get past. And then all the dust comes in, and it's not as pleasant as it could be. A three-carriage road train just passed us, and now another one's coming back in the other direction that has four carriages. These trucks are huge. Yesterday won't just be looking at very distant objects. Within our own Milky Way galaxy, it will expect to discover thousands of pulsars, the fast-rotating remnants of dead stars, which emit beams of radio radiation from their magnetic poles and appear as radio sources which pulse on and off on each revolution, often hundreds of times a second. If two of these objects can be found in close orbit around one another, the way in which they move in each other's intense gravitational field will allow the SKA to put Einstein's theory of general relativity to the test. We've just taken a pause at where the tarmac runs out, about 200 k's from Velarde Station, to check everything's tied down correctly before we finish off our journey. It's absolutely beautiful day today. Nice bright blue skies, about 30 degrees, maybe a bit hotter. And we're almost there. We're very excited. And I actually better stop talking now because there's a truck about to whiz past us. In the very nearby universe, radio frequencies are ideal for taking images of planetary systems forming around stars. The material in these disks is often too cold to glow red hot, but it is warm enough to gently radiate radio waves. As we keep hearing on Naked Astronomy, Extrasolar planets are being discovered at a rate of a handful every month at the moment. Telescopes like ALMA, the Atacama Large Millimetre Array based in Chile, are likely to reveal much about them before the SKA comes online. But the SKA's high resolution and sensitivity mean that it will be able to see structures that are invisible, even to today's most sensitive telescopes. It's a long shot, but if there happen to be any advanced civilizations on those planets who use radio waves to communicate, it's just conceivable that the SKA might be able to detect that. After about 10 hours on the road today, we finally reached Velarde about 5pm. We travelled over 800 kilometres through beautiful Western Australian country. The dirt road was in very good condition, but there were a lot of road trains around and we uh, kicked up a lot of dust. We saw some amazing wildlife on the way through the dirt road. There was a bungara, which is a lizard-type creature. This one had lost half its tail. Looks like a big, fat goanna. We also saw some emus and one dad emu with six little babies, which was quite cute. We also saw lots of kangaroos, of course, and some cattle, given that we're now on a cattle station. So Bulati is absolutely gorgeous. We're now settled in after dinner to the hum of air conditioning, getting ready to go to bed. We're looking forward to heading out to site tomorrow morning to see the Australian SKA Pathfinder. CSIRO are going to show us around their telescope. And we're also going to head out to the Murchison Widefield Array site as well. Though construction of the SKA is still three years away, 
the Murchison Radio Astronomy Observatory is already homed to precursor telescopes. Australia's National Science Agency, CSIRO, is building the Australian SKA Pathfinder, ASCAP for short, on the site. When it is completed, this will be an array of 36 radio dishes, each of which measures 12 metres across. Nearby, the Murchison Widefield Array, or MWA, is a much less conspicuous instrument. Rather than using dishes to reflect radio waves and focus them onto a receiver, it consists of tiny antennas, each measuring no more than a couple of feet across, which are arranged in groups of 16 called tiles. So we just turned onto the road into the Murchison Radio Astronomy Observatory. We're driving along and we're going to get a glimpse of a telescope soon, I think, in the distance. I think as we round this corner we might be able to see a dish. Dish? Oh, oh, we see one. Where? Up there on the left. It looks tiny from a distance, doesn't it? So we've just pulled up to the gate. We're going to say hello to Martin, one of the MWA astronomers and engineers who's opening the gate for us. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. And we're going to pull through and talk to Brian. You guys saw the bunger on the drive-in, but there's another one just a couple of hundred metres ahead near that dip on the right-hand side. Awesome. All right, we're being told to watch out for a bunger up on the right. We'll meet you at the Murchison Widefield Array. So now that we're in the MWA <laughs> section, we're actually getting close enough to see some of the, the MWA tiles. There'll be one coming up on our right here soon. The MWA is much smaller telescope in dimensions than ASCAP. It's the little tiles are only about oh, knee high. Wow. Oh, to the right. Check it out. That is cool. It's got 16 little dipoles that are about knee height. They look like metal spiders with four legs glinting in the sun in groups of 16. There's 128 of those groups of 16, so we'll see a few more here. Yeah, there's some up. Oh, there's a few there. And there's one over on the left here near the breakaway. It actually rained overnight, if you believe. We're in a desert, but there was some rain, and we've got some clouds in the sky today some much-needed moisture for the area, but it probably puts a bit of a dampener on our plans to do some uh, nighttime photography by leaving the camera out. The engineers will have been preparing for this visit to the MRO site for weeks. The hot desert environment is not a good place for diagnosing hardware problems, and moreover, everyone needs to be sure that after they go home, the telescopes will be able to function reliably until their next visit, with minimal intervention from the staff on site. Well, we've arrived on site. We've put our lunch in the fridge and it's about 9.30 and I'd say it's already 30 degrees. It's getting really warm out here. And in our long pants and our long sleeve shirts and our boots for safety, we're getting a bit warm. But it's about time that we headed over to the Australian SKA Pathfinder to meet CSIRO over there and they're going to show us around their new control building and the beautiful 36 white dishes that are popping up everywhere over there. So we'll head on over and we'll see what we can find out. So we've just turned back onto the road that goes straight down the middle of the MRO. We've got a breakaway to our right. Again, the MWA site is to our right. And to our left is ASCAP. And well, we can't see any of it yet. But as we come up here and turn a bend, we should get a glimpse of the ASCAP core, where there are about 11, 12 of the 36 ASCAP dishes in a close area. 
They really do look small from a distance. It's not until you get closer you realise just how big they are. Once you realise that the whole dish is actually sitting above the tree line as well. Yeah, absolutely amazing country out here. It's flat as a pancake apart from the breakaways. There's, you know, little bushes everywhere and a few trees that are maybe person height, but most of it is just flat red dirt, which of course makes it absolutely perfect for radio astronomy. Oldest landscape in the, in the world, oldest unchanged landscape in the world. One of the great things about radio astronomy in this region is that it is fairly low impact compared to other activities that happen in Western Australia, like other uh, commercial activities. So with the Murchison Widefield Array, we have mesh on the ground, then we have the dipoles clipped to the mesh. And if you needed to take that telescope away, the ground would be relatively undisturbed and you could re rehabilitate it quite effectively. Same goes for ASCAP. You know, you've got the central region where the roads are and where the dishes are built, but the rest of the landscape is untouched. We're just driving past... They are huge. Look at the base of these things. It's incredible, isn't it? So they're all pointing straight up at the moment standing like sentries on the side of the road. We're now in the core region, so we're surrounded by ASCAP dishes in every direction. We're now wandering around the core of ASCAP and this place is incredible. These dishes are massive and we were lucky enough that one of the CSIRO uh, workers just let us inside one to have a look inside and there's so many cables and fibres and digital chips and all of this incredible technology. It's such a, an interesting contrast to the fact that we're eight hours from anywhere pretty much. We're in the middle of a desert, in the middle of nowhere, which of course is where we need to be to be doing this radio astronomy. I'm looking up at one of the ASCAP dishes now and there's just a beautiful blue sky with wispy clouds behind it and this big bright green checkerboard circle above the dish and that is what we call the phased array feed. It's the brand new technology that CSIRO have invented and they are just absolutely incredible. We've just been told they have 188 different feeds. So that means there's 188 different signals coming down off these dishes, allowing it to look at a broad section of sky. So usually radio telescopes only have one or maybe a few, few of these things, but these dishes have 188 of them. And hopefully it'll feed into the square kilometre array and be on the square kilometre array dishes. But at the moment, they're building them for ASCAP. Another really, really interesting thing about these dishes is that they don't just move up and down and, and left and right. They also spin around completely, which sounds kind of trivial when you're thinking about it. But then you've got to think that there are hundreds of cables coming out of the top of this dish and then you have to spin it around 360 degrees. So there's so much complex cable management inside these things. In fact, you go in and it's all just big racks of computing that takes in the analog signal and then more computers that turn it into a digital signal and hundreds and hundreds of cables being managed so that they can twist around and not get tangled or stop the dish from turning where it needs to turn. And now we are so lucky. They are just tilting the dish towards me. It's 12 metre wide bowl, basically, with four arms coming off it that lead up to the phased array feed, the green checkerboard, with all the cables coming down off it. It's actually quite funny uh, watching someone use a remote control to tilt a telescope towards you. 
the scale of these things just becomes even more impressive when it's tilted down. You can actually see how big they are. When it's just up above you, it looks big, but it's still, you know, four stories high. So that the width of that dish is still in the distance. But it's now been tilted down towards me and it's spinning around and it's just absolutely incredible how big it is, how smoothly and fast it moves. The two precursor telescopes already at Murchison demonstrate two ways that radio astronomers can detect radio waves. On the outside, at least, the white dishes of ASCAP look much more like the traditional image of a radio telescope. For high-frequency radio waves, dishes remain the preferred option, as receivers are expensive and it makes sense to use large dishes to focus the radio waves onto a small number of detectors. But receivers for low-frequency radio waves are cheap. Rather than building huge and unwieldy metal structures to focus radio waves onto a small number of detectors, it makes sense to have many more smaller antennas. This is especially true in a remote location like Murchison, where keeping large moving structures in good repair is costly. The MWA takes this idea to the extreme, having over 2,000 tiny antennas called dipoles, each of which has no moving parts at all. After our fabulous morning at ASCAP this morning, we're now at the Murchison Widefield Array side of the site. We've had a little bit of lunch and some cake, and we've now headed out along the trench lines of the MWA to the core. The configuration of the Murchison Widefield Array is quite similar to other radio telescopes in that you have a dense core with lots of antennas and then slowly as you get further and further away from the core, the telescope gets more and more spread apart and the antennas are further apart. So at the moment, we're in the core of the Murchison Widefield Array. It's about 500 metres away from the office, the MWA office. Radiating out from that office are what we call trench lines. They're big um, holes were dug in the ground to run cables along, then filled in. So they look very much like roads. And there's seven of them radiating out. I turn around in every direction. There's just little MWA dipoles as far as you can see almost. And they're clumped into groups of 16 in squares of 16 that we call tiles. One direction I can see about 30 tiles are all clumped together. And then uh, the rest of the NWA spreads further and further out, up to about two kilometres from the centre. And we've got 128 tiles total in an area that's about three kilometres square. Now, each of these tiles, I walk up to it, it's got five by five metres of mesh in a big square and then the dipoles are clipped onto there, the little antennas and then they've all got cables running out of them that are hooked into this white box that sits off to the southern end of the tile and that white box is called a beamformer. Um, one of the special things about the Murchison Widefield Array is that it doesn't actually have any moving parts. You can't point the telescope by moving a dish and pointing it to a certain section of sky. Instead you point the dish electronically using, using a computer and that's where the beamformer comes in. It forms the beam on the sky. So what happens is uh, radio waves are coming in to the telescope and each of the antennas is obviously at a different spot on the ground. So the radio waves will come into each of the antennas at a different time. And then all of the information is sent through to the beamformer. And the beamformer is told by the astronomer who wants to use the telescope where in the sky you want to look. And what it does is it adds a delay to each of the signals to combine the signals in such a way that you end up looking at the right spot of sky. Each of the MWA's antennas receives radio waves from all over the sky. But the telescope's control software can choose which direction to look in 
by introducing small delays into the signals from some of the tiles. Radio waves from the east will arrive at the easternmost tiles first before sweeping westward across the array at the speed of light. So to look east, the telescope software looks for signals that were received by the eastern antennas fractionally before they arrived at the western antennas. So we're at the last tile of the MWA. It's not actually the last, it's it's quite close to the centre in the scheme of things, but it's called the last tile because it's the one that was constructed last. So the MWA was actually constructed by a group of undergraduate students who came up and built the dipoles and then built the beamformers and laid out all of the cabling. And then the engineers and the commissioning scientists have been building the receivers and, and connecting it all together with the computing system. And it's actually quite funny to be here at this last tile because the students got very creative with the dipoles and have decorated a few of them. The last one has the last dipole written on the top of it. We've even got a dipole that has serial number 1969 with a beautiful diorama drawn on the bottom of it of the moon landing with a big eagle and Apollo 11. So the students certainly had some great fun when they were building the telescope. When it's completed, the SKA will produce a colossal amount of data. Since the aperture arrays will comprise of so many small antennas, each pertaining their own separate signals, which will have to be added together, the total amount of data flowing into the control computers we measured in thousands of terabytes per second. This poses serious challenges for the engineers. As we've seen, it means that the site is littered with buried optical fibres and it's quite impossible to carry all of the data that's flowing through them back to Perth. Instead, much of the computing power behind the SKA will need to be on site within a few hundred metres of the antennas themselves. This poses the challenge of how to power these computers, hundreds of kilometres away from civilization. But more seriously, the whole point of locating the SKA in the desert was to get away from the radio hum that electronic devices produce. The engineers need to make sure that any radio waves that the computers produce are kept away from the antennas. The sky has still got hints of blue, but it's mostly got grey cloud cover. We're expecting a little bit of rain tonight. Of course, all of the telescopes are waterproof, but not just that, they're also radio frequency proof because there's no point building your telescope in the middle of a desert to get away from all of the radio frequency interference that cities produce like radio stations and TV stations and even just microwaves and electronics and things like that. There's no point coming all the way out here to get away from all of that and then building a big power station to power your telescope and building your receivers and your, th- your electronics that control the telescope because they will then produce radio waves. So everything in the MRO is shielded within an inch of its life practically to make sure that it doesn't produce any radio waves that could interfere with the telescopes. This is particularly important for telescopes like ASCAP and the MWA because they are designed to be very, very sensitive. The MWA is designed to pick up some of the oldest signals in the universe, which will be extremely weak. So Any kind of signal that's man-made and earth-based will drown those signals out. So we have things like the CSIRO control building that has two massive airlocks to get into it, and they're not to prevent air coming out, but instead to prevent radio frequency interference. And I really like actually how they tested the building and made sure it was radio frequency tight. 
they set off radio frequency bombs inside of it and walked around trying to see if it was leaking anywhere. So they had a big signal generator inside the building and then were walking around with detectors and saying, okay, this weld needs a little bit more welding on it because it's letting some out. And then basically made sure the building was completely tight and nothing could get out. And the same has been done to all of the equipment over at the MWA as well. So we have these lovely white boxes sitting on the trench lines. They're called receivers. There's 16 of them. Eight tiles connect up to each of these receivers. And um, they basically look like kind of a white box with a fridge in it and then a whole lot of electronics and those electronics produce a lot of radio frequency interference so the white box itself shields them really really strongly to make sure that the tiles are picking up nothing but signals from space. The MWA and ASCAP are being used to test the new types of radio receivers that the SKA will use. Placing them on a site which is very close to where the SKA will be built also tests whether that site is as good in practice as it looks on paper. I have to say the first results that I've seen from both the Australian and South African sites are incredibly impressive. In the absence of mobile phones and television transmitters, these are sites where the background noise becomes significantly worse whenever communication satellites are overhead. But the precursor instruments are also genuinely useful scientific instruments. Their initial findings will help astronomers to get a feel for what the SK will be able to see and will help them optimise its designs around the objects which it is likely to see. An area of particular interest is radio sources which rapidly change in brightness, so-called transients. Until now, their variability has often gone unnoticed because small radio telescopes have had to add up the light from faint objects over long periods in order to see them at all. If they vary on very short timescales, this is averaged out in the long exposure image that radio telescopes have taken. With very sensitive instruments, however, it's possible to detect faint objects in much shorter exposures and pick up variability that may previously have gone unnoticed. Kirsten spoke to Martin Bell from the ARC Centre of Excellence for All-Sky Astrophysics, who worked with the MWA. Part of my job at the moment is to commission this instrument and get it ready but part of that is also trying to produce early science. We develop a, a software to search for objects in the sky that have dramatically changed in brightness which is indicative of highly energetic events happening in the universe and so far we know very little about these types of objects and as sort of next generation of instruments that are coming online such as uh, ASCAP, the Australian Square Kilometre Array Pathfinder which is co-located on the site with the Murchison Wildfield Array will really help us solve, uh, understand these objects, find more of these objects and uh, understand the physics behind them. So what are the other science goals of the MWA? So the MWA is a very broad, uh, broad reach. It's a very wide-field instrument, which means that it can study hugely vast amounts of the sky in one image, if you like. So it lends itself very easily to doing large survey work that's uh, cataloguing and understanding bright objects in the low-frequency sky. Um, the low-frequencies... Well, there's not very much understood about them and they've historically been studied, but not, not in recent years have we uh, been, been making images of the sky at these wavelengths. So just even producing surveys uh, will be a fantastic uh, achievement, science goals. Other science teams include transients ourselves, pulsars, studying extremely fastly rotating objects in the universe. There's also a team called the Epoch of Reionization who are looking for signals, radio waves from the, the extremely early universe and the survey, the survey science teams as well. And uh, there's also um, 
a large interest in solar solar science because uh, with this instrument it's very difficult to observe during the day because the sun is so bright but that means that we can take some fantastic observations of the sun. So I understand this is your first trip to the Murchison Radio Astronomy Observatory. What do you think? Oh, I think it's fantastic. It's it's very remote. <laughs> um, I expected it to be... Um, I don't know why I could have looked it up on the map, but I expected it to be a little bit closer to civilization. But that that's the point in putting it out here. It needs to be away from uh, uh, radio traffic, from mobile phones and all the rest of it. But, uh, yeah, it looks like Mars. <laughs> Selecting a site for a large international telescope, such as the SKA, is a bit like the process of selecting a country to host the Olympics. Numerous sites around the world put in bids trying to justify why they were the best places to be the international home of radio astronomy for what may be decades to come. Issues of local radio noise, environmental impact and cost were all debated at length. The excellent progress of the SKA precursor instruments is what convinced the international community that Australia could host the SKA. But the progress has also been very good in southern Africa, which until recently was competing against Australia to win the SKA. In the end, project managers decided that the telescope could easily be split between both sites, since, as we have seen, it will comprise of two entirely different types of antenna, and the data from each will be processed separately. The SKA's dish array will be built in southern Africa, while its aperture arrays will be hosted by Australia. With construction due to commence in 2016, the landscape of Murchison will soon be transformed into a vast sea of aperture arrays. Away from the central core, stations of additional tiles will be spread over distances of thousands of kilometres right across the Australian outback. By 2020, the first phase of construction will be completed and this remote desert may provide us with our deepest ever view of the sky. We've just left Bulati, hitting the road. It's about quarter to eight in the morning. We're ready for our eight and a half hour journey home on the dirt and then the tarmac. We're looking forward to getting back to Perth, but we're sad to be leaving the Murchison. That's it for this month's Naked Astronomy. My thanks to CSIRO for allowing us to record on the MRO site and to Kirsten Goshtalk for taking time out from her visit to speak to us. We'll be back next month with more space science, so please keep your questions and comments coming in. You can send them to us at astronomy at thenakedscientist.com or tweet at Naked Scientists. You can find all of the previous Naked Astronomy podcasts, along with space boffins, on our website at thenakedscientist.com slash astronomy. Naked Astronomy was produced this month by Kate Lamble, Ben Valsler and me, Dominic Ford. It comes to you from Cambridge University with support from the Science and Technology Facilities Council.